law, art or life? Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. You just heard an excerpt from the recent direct action by climate activists from the UK-based radical climate action group Just Stop Oil. The activist, 21-year-old Phoebe Plummer, and 20 years old Anna Holland threw a can of soup at a Van Gogh painting at the National Gallery in London to protest government inaction against climate change and the cost of living crisis in the UK. The relationship between art and climate change has been a tenacious one. Artists have often reflected on climate change and the deepening climate crisis in diverse and profound ways, exposing us to the hidden sensoriums of climate change and how perhaps we could one day learn to embrace the Anthropocene and find creative ways to live with it. In today's podcast, we will be discussing a recent book that explores the intersections between art and climate change. We will be joined by the authors of the book, Dr. Maya and Ruben Fox, art historians, curators, and co-directors of the Post-Socialist Art Center backed at the UCL Institute of Advanced Studies. And two brilliant interlocutors, Professor Deepshani Bhattacharya, who's a professor of the history of the Anthropocene at the University of Zurich, and Professor Tatiana Schneider, who's a professor of history and theory of architecture at the TU Braunschweig. I'm your host, Nitin Butler, and this is The Urban Political. The podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for that very uh, wonderful uh, introduction, Nitin. And I would begin by thanking you for inviting me to this podcast and Maya and Ruben folks for sharing this rich and like eye-opening and field-shifting work with me. And, you know, what a time to be reading about the relationship between art and climate change. Indeed, I would say there could be no better time uh, for more than one reasons. You know, I read your book in the backdrop of the current discussion, especially at this time when we've suddenly been befuddled by why climate activists are throwing soup on Van Gogh paintings or gluing themselves to Goya's paintings in Madrid. And sadly, instead of jolting us awake, it has given way to a certain kind of reductionist mainstream media response ranging from throwing soup on safe climate to how many Van Goghs is one earth worth? In many ways, art and climate change prefigure some of the answers by collecting together a wide range of artistic practices and projects, expressions, and I would add critiques of our responses or indifference to the current planetary crisis. Indeed, Maya and Ruben not only give us an account of the current planetary conditions and their local manifestation, but their accounting for is also a demand for accountability of state power, of corporate criminality, of inaction by global authorities. The artworks discussed over five parts from many Anthropocenes through projects of reconfiguring the geosphere to the alternative understandings that emerge when we think through floral collectivism, animal solidarities, and concluding on a note of possibilities in the pluriversal ecologies threads the planetary and the local in an evocative manner 
that is rarely see, seen when one, or should I just stick to my field and say, when we historians work in these multi-scalar archives thrown up by Earth's deep pasts. Meshing scholarship from history, anthropology, geography, and art practices, the book offers a tour de force account of how artists across the world, especially those located in the global south, are responding to the current climate crisis by revealing the long processes of colonial capitalization of nature, be it in the, be it in the eastern side and the western side, and I loved your attention to both, uh, both sides of the Cold War hemisphere, to corporate stripping of the Earth's crust, to the suppression of indigenous epistemologies and racial violence. What, what they offer us is not simply an artist's recounting of the rampage upon the earth, but also stories of fighting back, documenting how people across the world, world living with the forests, swamps, hills, fought back, and thus offering us quotes to make sense of the operations of power and giving us a rhetoric of insurgency that is needed in the current moment. Thus, moving beyond narrow bourgeois environmentalisms of conservation and greening, what we get here is how to re-epistemologize knowledges in the plants and animal worlds. How do we, for instance, understand planetary jurisprudence and cosmopolitical justice in more than human frames? And how finally, and this one stuck with me a lot, uh, is the new electronic colonialism and digi digital speciesism can be made visible by following the hyper-modern undersea cables along their route, which follows the violent routes of colonialism and the shipping lanes of Atlantic slavery. Indeed, this book asks us to account for centuries of cultivated indifference that allowed business as usual to loot the planet and its most disenfranchised population in order to enrich a few in the global north. As a teacher, a history teacher trying to teach about the colonial conquest of nature and its terrifying post-colonial afterlives, I read the book pedagogically too. It is rich in that way. It instructs through examples of artistic practices, which is able to hold together the contradictions that define our quote-unquote modern lives on this planet. I will definitely be using the book and the artist you have introduced me to in my teaching. It is a very rich book, brimming with original insights, and I cannot do justice to it through this discussion. It is visual, visually rich and evocative book. It has to be held, poured over. I spent time with the images, thought about them, felt sometimes really petrified by them, always deeply saddened, but also found some answers and some hope. In order to give our listeners a sense of the work we are dealing with, let me take up take us to one small section on page 66-67, where they discussed artist Menerva Cueva's project, Bittersweet, Hershey's 2015. Sitting here in Zurich, in the land of lint and chocolate, this project drew me in. It shows a Hershey's label with its crumpled silver foil and melted chocolate in it. These words are printed in block in another corner, to quote, an evil power which roams the earth, crippling the bodies of men and women luring nations to destruction by visions of unearned wealth and the opportunity to enslave and exploit, quote close. Her installation included a contraption that, that dripped chocolate at the interval of three, uh, at, at an interval of 3.6 seconds, replicating the rate at which someone in the world dies of starvation. 
As the pandemic deepens the hunger crisis in the world with a projected 12,000 people dying of hunger by the end of this year, it is important to pause at these two pages where Ruben and Maya discuss food as a tool to question current forms of power exchange across the planet, revealing his histories as often deeply embedded to use their word in commodity racism. What better way to think about the planetary crisis that perhaps begins in our pantries and our kitchens? What better way to connect the hyper-local to the planetary? Cuevas' art projects, they point out, problematizes the cultivation of cacao crops in our native Mexico, an industry that sustained European colonialism. Her work consists of prints made using cacao powder, found objects and artifacts covered with chocolate to show how Granorial, a high-end variety of cacao grown in the Chiapas, now available only in places like Belgium and Switzerland, has made the Chiapas a place of widespread hunger, dispossession, and exploitative labor practices. I just wanted to share this really small sliver uh, here today so that you get a texture of the work and see how each page is brimming with insights of this manner. To close or to open up the discussion, I will raise two questions. Uh, and I want to ask first, what does it mean to work through art in these times of crisis? After reading your work, I think there could be no better person to illuminate the role of art in the face of climate crisis than the two of you. I asked this broad question precisely because I read the book in the cacophony of the activists action by Stop Oil and Futuro Vegetal and found the current discussion either reductive or simply having reached a dead end. And this book, Art and Climate Change, actually gives us a sense of the possibilities. If we not only heard the accounts of the, the accounts that these artists are documenting or the stories they are trying to tell, but also if we took seriously the accounting of responsibilities your work is demanding. So I wanted you, uh, you to talk a bit about how you see the relation between art and the contemporary transformations that are undergoing as we understand climate every day on you. What's, what possibilities of communicating climate open up when we think through the scientific graphs, historical data, meteorological simulation rendered through art practices that you do? Second, the beautiful, and these are just two questions to open up. I have tons and tons of questions, but the beautiful fifth section of the book ends with a chapter on reparative histories. And now you know there was a historian reading this book. And in that section, you write, that the damage done to the earth can only be remedied by unlearning imperialism that hold the potential for ecological and social transformation of terrestrial life. And I thought, wow, what a concept, unlearning imperialism, and what a difficult concept to really grapple with. Where does even one begin? And I like it so much better than the term decolonize in some ways. So I was wondering if you can help us grapple with this concept a little bit and tell our audience about it. Thank you so much for writing this beautiful book and putting all these art projects into conversation. I'm just so honored to be here in this discussion today. Thank you so much for your response. It's absolutely amazing to hear it. And this is exactly what we wanted to achieve when we wrote the book, to have someone deeply engaged and to understand that uh, the working with contemporary art and climate change means engaging on all these levels that you mentioned, from local to planetary histories, from deep histories to uh, 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 histories of uh, troubling histories of the of the recent past and uh, working with the futures, working with all the questions of uh, politics and economy and uh, justice and so on. And I'm really glad that you picked up on all of these various aspects of the of the book. So thanks so much. Yeah, and um, 
uh, you know, maybe to, to to move to the to the questions that you, that you posed as well. Um, uh, you know, th th this question about what, what does it mean to to work through art uh, with uh, in a time of climate crisis, and to think about these the, these issues in this moment of climate crisis. And uh, uh, I, I think what, one thing is is about the 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 way that artists have taken on a special role in. Um, connecting different knowledges and uh, uh, approaches uh, which, which offer an alternative to this this uh, mainstream view that you you know you, you spoke about this reaction to the actions to the climate activist actions uh, in uh, in the museum with the spilling of paint on van gogh Ghost work, work, but uh, uh, you know, j just the way that artists have have uh, find a way of of, of connecting uh, indigenous epistemologies and also uh, the, the latest scientific thinking, which is in a way is moving beyond that and and coming full circle and connecting with traditional and in, and indigenous knowledges as well. And I think that uh, artists seem to be occupying a particular position in this transformation uh, of knowledge, uh, uh, and maybe it's something about the. Uh, their openness to thinking across boundaries and thinking uh, uh, through different geographies and different different contexts as well that uh, uh, puts research-based art practices in in that position, uh, especially. Um, so you know maybe I'd stress this you know this role in 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 bringing new knowledges and transforming the uh, epistemologies at the moment, decolonizing them, but also bringing out more ecological epistemologies as well. Um, and also, when we were thinking about uh, uh, the artist uh, in the book, we really very much wanted to bring this uh, wealth of approaches that artists are dealing with uh, when, it's, uh, when they think about climate change. And they really approach it from so many perspectives and so many standpoints. And uh, well, uh, not just geographically, but also whether they're thinking on the grand scale of, of uh, infrastructures and uh, economies, or they go to micro scales of, of uh, mic uh, microbes, literally, and thinking of the, uh, you know, other species or plants or animals or every uh, or, or natural entities and elements, everything that is interconnected and uh, working together on this planetary uh, kind of playing field. And uh, they really are addressing it in all these very complex ways. And they're really pointing exactly opposite to what the perhaps media wants uh, climate activism to be uh, by pointing out the complexity and interconnectedness of the crisis uh, that are happening on the planet. And this is one of the main uh, aspects of the book that we want to achieve is to go beyond understanding climate as, uh, change as one issue and the single thing of uh, 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 carbon emissions, which obviously is uh, uh, something that is driving the climatic uh, changes on the planet, but we really wanted to show how it is very much interconnected to all the other aspects of uh, extinctions, of biodiversity loss, of uh, climate migrations, and uh, all the other processes which are happening, biogeochemical processes that are happening on the planet, which are affecting the life, not just of humans, but all of uh, terrestrials at the same time and uh, um, yeah and also um uh you know this question about what what artists are are offering what they can do and uh i think it it is about complexity and asking difficult questions and they're not they're not really offering simple 
solutions to the problem. So if you know if people go to artists expect, expecting them just to offer a very kind of like positive, aff affirmative, hopeful vision of how it, how everything's going to be solved, they're not doing that. They really are going into the depth of the uh, of the problems and only somehow in in certain areas hinting or or modelling possible potential ways uh, to um, remedy the situation. And, and I think that we we did tr try to convey that also when you mentioned the the last the last chapter the on the pluriversal ecologies I mean, we, we did tr you know try not not to show them like offering uh you know a, a complete manifesto or or program of how, how things could be solved because it's not really possible to do that but just to show where there might where there are areas where we could help think as you mentioned like unlearning imperialism or or, fi or finding uh more localized solutions or connecting the 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 planetary and the local in different ways in, in which artists were able to uh, uh, to contribute to that uh, discussion that, that, is, that is ongoing on how to respond to the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, one of the reasons the book is the way it is, is because of the format uh, and the edition of the book, uh, which comes in this World of Art series, which has a limited number of words and limited number of pages and illustrations. And in that way, we were we had the set kind of uh, parameters within which we had to work, and uh, that's why we gave precedent to the artist practices themselves, rather than going through a, a theoretical background of each practice, the way it could be connected to other um, kind of fields of uh, interest. And we only hinted or provided this kind of a skeleton of theoretical and uh, historical backgrounds that are necessary for understanding uh, of the of the practices themselves. So in that way, uh, it's kind of... Uh, and we also resisted the t temptation to sort of to go beyond, you know, the, the visual arts and contemporary art practices to look at, for example, architecture or, or you know, other sort of adjacent fields, which obviously there's such a wealth of, of uh, work done by other creatives or or, or literature or or, or 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 you know multitudes of other fields as well, but we 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 kept it fairly focused on on contemporary art and and uh, you know uh, also on art product produced in the last few years. So really on contemporary art in the last decade or the last five years, most recent contemporary artistic engagements of which somehow. Uh, and I, th I think that there is it's not sort of a historical book about the engagements with art and ecology going back you know even since the 60s it's not that at all it really is dealing with the the moment we are at now and how artists are uh, uh approaching and responding to the the real acute nature of the of the, of the climate crisis and the fact that it can't really be called, called climate change as such but really you have to say climate break breakdown or cl climate catastrophe or you know they're always new ways of people trying to express the 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 magnitude of the current moment and i think that that's something about these contemporary artistic uh engagements with the problems that they really are uh that you know they're taking it seriously on such a level because of the seriousness of the problem and that's somehow different to earlier uh, uh engagements say with art and ecology which somehow could either be a kind of niche interest or it was it could be environmental uh art history but not but rather rather than not dealing with the the central issue of climate change as such
It, um, when you when you mentioned Maya and when you mentioned the format being uh, given almost by the uh, publisher, it just made me wonder about the book you would have done if you did not have um, not the requirements by the publishers, the number of pages, the sort of the focus on on the artist or something like that. No, but but maybe we can we can uh, discuss that afterwards. I am an architect by training, and um, I do look with uh, a certain envy on this immense collection of practices that you have put together. I mean, um, Debiani already mentioned this um, in, in a way. It's, it is absolutely, it's absolutely immense no? to, to, to see it in this um, sheer uh, scale and number of practices that, um, that have, um, have been no, and, and, and I think um, it's been talked about, no, the stories about fighting back or unraveling also um, the complexities of the world that we live in. And it's, um, it's, 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 it's sometimes it's overwhelming. No? And, and you go on and you read and think, oh, gosh, there's another one and there's another one. And there must be many, 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 many more at this as well. No? So um, I find that um, incredibly um um enriching no? and also sort of it, it it almost sort of gave me um i was sitting there thinking gosh if if this is maybe the tip of the iceberg no I, I, let's hope it's the tip of the iceberg no we could dig and dig and there's maybe much more hope than i at times have um at the moment and um and already in the beginning you know, we mentioned um just stop oil and other things we could also talk about cop um cop 27 which is uh just opened no yesterday in uh, in Egypt and and there's so much you no know, coming from architecture there's so much lip service and greenwashing being done about many of these things that I at times really do wonder you know, where things go I, I wonder whether you caught, could talk a little bit about you know, uh, the people and practices and your way of organizing and bringing together um, of really rich array of, of um, really inspiring practices the book was yeah. um, actually written during lockdown as they happened and uh, uh, we just got our contract uh, I, I think like a week before the lockdown uh, uh, started in 2020, in 2020 in in UK and uh, it was a real kind of uh, um, it changed the way we were thinking of how to approach the book because we were thinking more of uh, doing different type of research than we in the end ended up working. However, the artists uh, that are in the book, um, we have chosen because on partly they're based on the on our lectures that we were um, gi uh, given to the uh, during the teaching on art and visual culture or visual uh, visual cultures of Anthropocene that we were teaching for years and uh, working with contemporary artists and we knew we wanted to base it on the certain artist practices uh, and artworks that we got so um, emotionally attached to by teaching them and thinking about them and having students writing about them and so on but at the same time there were all these other practices that we also wanted to um, to uh, uh, write about as well but rather than thinking oh these are all this massive amount of artists practices like you said the tip uh, uh, top of of an iceberg or tip of an iceberg, uh, we really wanted to uh, focus uh, in the book on the themes themselves and subject that we wanted to address. And again, we limit ourselves uh, to to certain uh, issues that were meant that we wanted to address and the beginning of the book. And then we divided it in five chapters, and each had five uh, 
sub chapters. And uh, in the first one, we really wanted to bring uh, out the issues that are major causes of the climate change and climate disaster. So we uh, focused on those practices. Uh, in the second part, we're thinking about uh, uh, other entities and elements of the natural world affected by the climate change. Then we had the chapter, which we thought it was very important, thinking about the plants. And there's a, a big field in contemporary art as well as in contemporary science of uh, thinking about going uh, of what can the plants bring to the discussion and how they only how they are uh, a major play a major role in climate change both uh, mitigating climate change and uh, and causing it in in some way so it's really is a important field that we wanted to address and we so uh, plants and animals and finally we're addressing the position of the of the human within this bigger planetary whole and uh, each chapter is uh, quite a short way of writing this is a lockdown writing two and a half thousand words is what we could <laughs> manage and uh, at a time and um, uh, uh, it was really thinking about who are the artists which discuss these issues uh, at most depth on it, or perhaps you know that really are catching our attention uh, uh, when we were discussing monocultures uh, of uh, in in agriculture, obviously we knew some artists we wanted to bring in, such as Ilona Nemeth's uh, work on Eastern sugar and the problem of sugar production that she addresses. And here is one aspect where we do have our architecture present in the book, and that is through the uh, uh, re residues of architecture through ruins, and this is socialist ruins and pre-socialist ruins, and what has neo-colonial um, or neo-feudal, if you like, uh, uh, a way of working in the in these territories of post-socialism brought to the to the natural and urban environment and to this kind of built environment, and she's really much, very much addressing that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, and and also maybe to uh, you know circle back to this question around the reparative histories. So that's also that you know which we didn't really address yet. So this idea of un unlearning imperialism. So idea, uh, you know, the idea that we looked at in the book and also in an exhibition, uh, uh, the exhibition potential agrarianism was sort of to think like this this idea from Aisha as all as idea of unlearning imperialism is to is to rewind history to. To the moment before colonialism colonialism happened or to the moment when the the, tra the tragedy happened and then to like go forward differently and we would want to think about how that could also be done uh uh with uh, uh environmental history as well so you know if things environmental history went a certain way we also think how that could also be uh uh could also be thought differently and uh perhaps think think about potential other routes that maybe it didn't have to go through you know the a carbon intensive economy and form of agriculture that agriculture could have been different there was nothing particularly wrong with it it worked well and there are a lot of attempts to return to some of those uh, ways of organizing nature uh, that were that are non-capitalist in in nature so that so, so that that was somehow the idea of, of also taking this idea of unlearning imperialism and thinking about it in an environmental and eco ecological uh, context as well um, in terms of that uh, question and i mean just on on this idea of um uh limits i mean it's it's you know it's quite good when you have a structure so i think it's quite good when you when you work within it so i think that, that although 
you know, we had a, a certain word limit, a certain number of uh, uh, images and so on that we could work with. That was actually can actually be quite helpful when you're when you're working towards something. And and uh, 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 it uh, it turned out to be quite a, a productive and expansive way of of working as well with within that limit. It's, it's sort of puts a uh obliges you to be quite con concise and to make connections and to make something which works well we hope as a as a whole yeah. and i i think uh just to just to that point i feel that um that's something quite envious because uh it's really hard to pick a favorite chapter in the book i mean all all of them were my favorite uh and they're all treated in uh, so similarly like it's almost like a flat reading through the book uh, and i i really enjoyed uh that that form of writing yes uh i mean uh it's also built on our previous work as curators and our historians so we, we had a big project say, on yeah. Danube, river danube and we knew we wanted to have a chapter on rivers we had a uh, we worked with invasive species and invasive plants and the politics around them as we knew we wanted to have a chapter on that uh, we also were our bird watchers. We love going and seeing this, the bird watching. So political ornithology was something that we definitely wanted to have in the book. Because once you engage in these projects, you know the, the you know, mm. all the artists that are working in the field and it kind of you want to present that aspect as well. So it's somehow the chapters came together in a very um kind of organic way for us and based on the previous practice but the reason that is on the one hand perhaps we could manage that for us uh, writing these sections but the other on the other hand is also understanding that our readership is going mostly mostly going to be the students or the artists of the the youngest generation which are working and reading uh, in this in this very technological world where there is not much attention span to read actual books and I think if, uh, reading a chapter is okay. You know, you can jump. You don't have to start from the beginning to end. You can jump wherever you like and catch up with the um, with the work where where you feel like it's most relevant to you. And th this is also intentionally so that it's not kind of like they have to sit through and work page by page, but really uh, be more eclectic about where you enter and how how do you want to approach the book. And I think that also that this kind of curatorial approach as well. I mean, you mentioned us also being curators, although it is a, a book and a, an act of writing and research. It also, we did because we're quite connected with some of the artists, and you sort of also approach working with contemporary art and contemporary artists also from a curatorial perspective which which often is about care towards the artist towards the mm -hmm. artworks and, and and working with rather than just sort of looking at, at from a distance at the at the artist and there's, there's a sort of element of collaboration as well in in curating so somehow i think that that enabled us to be quite close to what we were writing about to the artists and the practices and the situations uh and it's mm -hmm. a sort of relationship which is also sort of is also ongoing and continuing so also some of the artists that we discovered through uh through writing mm -hmm. about about them we also hope to also or even started working with them on a on other projects from a curatorial basis so mm -hmm. hopefully it's quite a sort of a live connection of collaboration with the with mm -hmm. the with the artists yeah. and it's a yeah. it's a form of an exhibition as well in a book and you know the way we had to do it in the book rather than a biennial or kind of different kind of exhibition that would be also very uh, nice thing to kind of try to approach it in that way. And I think you've begun to answer a question I had, which was about 
again, very boring academic question, perhaps, but about method. But I think I was struck by how your discussion of one artwork wove it to the another one and how you would draw conclusion, link it up. I thought it was beautiful, you know. And one thing I want to comment, and I think this is a good place to talk about it. So whenever I go to exhibitions in the Anthropocene or the current climate crisis, sometimes I am uh, slightly disturbed, but also deeply attracted to the aesthetics, especially when it comes to, you know, showing ravaged landscapes. So, you know, like Niger Delta or mines, it's so beautiful that also it almost terrifies me and disturbs me also. Like what is the aesthetics of this beauty doing when I don't really see the miners or the workers in the mines. And, you know, when I came to your soil chapter, I was like, there are other ways of doing art because that was a very rich chapter that spoke about, you know, how we are stripping the richness of the soil and what artists are responding, but none of them are have that aestheticization of apocalypse or aestheticization of disaster. And I really appreciated that, I must say, because it really does, did strike a very different and that brought me to the question about, you know, methods in the sense you said it's a curatorial practice, you're brought to it. You also said this was a product of the pandemic. You had a set limit, you had to do it within those. But if you could tell us a little bit about the methods and the choices you made, some artists centered, some didn't, that would be, I think, wonderful to hear. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think it's a really interesting but point yeah, about so, yeah, this. So this, this is something that was very important to us. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, a lot of artists engaged with uh, art and climate change, art and Anthropocene, environmental issues. And most museums, galleries, um, art venues are exhibiting artists like that because that is what is of the time. So there mm. is an, an enormous amount of shows going on with, with art on that team. Uh, and uh, there is a whole stream of, uh, of art production, which is uh, going towards uh, illustrating the, uh, the um, perhaps uh, on the one hand, the science itself. So it, the artists are mm. bringing visuals to the mm. scientific uh, results. Mm. And uh, we, uh, uh, I mean, there are very well-known artists which are, are masterful in this kind of transferring the research into visual visuals uh, in a very interesting ways. But uh, this is something that we didn't go for uh, uh, in our book necessarily because uh, it is in a for is a form of illustration which I think it's uh, it doesn't have all the dimensions that contemporary art can have that can affect you in more than one way, more than just a kind of intellectual way. Uh, and I think that the practices that we discussed do have these other dimensions as well. And the other way is perhaps is uh, aestheticizing the disasters. And this is where we want to stay clear, although, uh, and, and this is another whole field of incredible um, artistic practice, which goes for the, you know, this kind of- a, Often a, quite a, photographic. Photographic yeah. and the really amazing scenes of the disaster. Uh, and catastrophe art uh, aestheticism, which we also really try to avoid in the book. And it wasn't that difficult. But, um, you know, if you don't read everything, just judge the images, you could really, you could, you know, you could be mistaken that there is, uh, uh, that we give a lot of uh, precedent to the aesthetics itself, but really is about these practices are so engaged and they do it in so many different ways that they approach the, uh, uh, and they're so um, embodied and embedded and uh, localized and uh, 
really thinking through their methods and their visual expression. And that's why it's such a variety of practices that we have presented from installations to uh, community work to uh, to the, you know, uh, documenting actions or working together on something. And, and I think that really shows the, the, the richness of the material and the practices that artists are doing. And we really wanted to have this kind of uh, uh, more complex way of thinking about uh, nat natural <laughs> uh, crisis that is happening than just illustrating it. Yeah, I, I pick up maybe on um, now you're talking so um, intensely also and uh, with so much affection also about the artists that you put into the book. And you're talking about the practices that are so, so engaged as well. No? And um, in a way, and of course, no, you, we've been talking about the, the limits of a chapter and this and that and the other. At times I wish, and this is not, not, um, not something that is, um, maybe um, taking anything away from the book, but I do wish at times um, that I could immerse myself more into each individual piece, right? Because so many, many of these pieces, I think, were made for a particular moment or for a particular installation or for a particular exhibition. And I wonder um, whether there is also something in this collection, I would almost want, I, I almost wish for a permanent collection. What would hinder us from creating that archive maybe of these kind of works that are then also available to everyone who would want to look at them in more detail? And it's a good question. It's a different ways of thinking about your question. One is how do we read today? And often people read together with the internet and you can always, you know, go on the internet and find out more about each practice and people, artists have websites, there are exhibitions that are indexed, so you can find out more about it in that way. Uh, and the other is, uh, is uh, I mean, it would be amazing to go to an, uh, even if it was, a, you know, not a permanent collection, but like even if it was like a year long exhibition display, it would be amazing to have all this practice together. But on the other hand, you have to ask, one has to ask yourself, do we really need that? Do we really need to collect that and archive that and uh, and especially turn it into something that is uh, is uh, in a physical form because uh, it's a huge question about the you know sustainability of the art world itself, the sustainability of exhibition making, um, and uh, and uh, who you know who would it be for and how would it function? And it's a huge huge question which would open uh, you know another whole field of the of the things which we haven't discussed because we didn't really want to go into the, the question of institutions and institutional functioning of the art world and the art market and all the questions which are related around exhibition making uh, institution functioning and mm -hmm. and so on yeah. so in this way we could just go straight to the uh, to the practices themselves and we have artists from uh, South America from Papua New Guinea from uh, Arctic uh, Circle and uh, to you know just to think about these practices brought together in some kind of physical place i think it would be just uh... i think the, the 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 practices in the book but uh, are quite decentered so we, it's kind of a a vision of uh, of a global art of art and climate change but which is quite decentered which isn't organized around uh you know the the current criteria of big museums and 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 even like kind of canon canonical uh accounts of art and ecology and art and climate so uh it's it's uh 
uh, I, I'm not even sure that if you if you went to a different part of the world or where where are we speaking from anyway? Uh, you know, I think that there's just, you know I think that the book shows that as well that there are incredibly um, complex and interesting and globally relevant works and art practices happening all over the world. Uh, simultaneously, so you could you could like zoom in anywhere. You could zoom in zoom in on Papua New Guinea, and, and all these questions can open up around extraction, around infrastructures, and so on through that geography, through that example, and through artists there, and and you know tens and maybe hundreds of artists that we have not covered in the book. You could discover and find out about their work. So in a way, this kind of permanent collective uh, work of contemporary art engaging with with climate issues is happening anywhere. It doesn't need walls, it doesn't need a museum. And we've given a little snapshot, a few guidance to some of the uh, the tips of the iceberg, as you said, like happening in different localities around the world. We've shown it's happening everywhere. And you could like dive in anywhere into the actual real world and find artists who are doing it uh, in those places, I would think. Yes, but it's always more complex. <laughs> and it's uh, really thinking about who are these artists that are speaking a contemporary art language that we can understand despite their, um, you know, situatedness and they still can speak to each other. Um, um, but we really wanted to say that uh, it was uh, important to go um, to think also in, in this in geographies, which are very much uh bringing the, the on the one hand the fact that climate disasters are happening across the whole of the on the planetary scale uh, and we also wanted to show how it is affecting not you know all different communities uh in so many ways and uh, uh so we have a south africa south african south american artists and and uh also artists from other parts of the world, Indian artists and so on, that everyone is facing a crisis from their perspective, Philippines and so on. Uh, but these works do speak to each other in a contemporary language and they could be in an exhibition because they are, in most of the artists have already exhibited in one way or the other in the constellation of various uh, curatorial practices uh, as well. And it was also important to us to to bring this kind of uh, uh, to bring the the other stream of our work, which is uh, the the post socialist socialist East European perspective, which often very often gets lost uh, in the discussions about uh, imperialisms, colonialisms, and and other. Uh, grand narratives, which we showed also, which we addressed in the reparative histories themselves, because it's uh, largely a white uh, area as well. It doesn't necessarily picture in this complex relationship, but with uh, with current political developments, the thing uh, that are happening in that part of the world, there is more and more understanding of the complex and the uh, exploitative relationships within the uh, countries and nations in in this part of the world as well and we wanted to bring that aspect uh, of the uh, 20th century histories which were not just the histories uh, of capitalism which is so often uh, uh, discussed in terms of Anthropocene uh, but also the socialist side which existed throughout the 20th century and which he's uh, somehow overseen yeah, and and this uh, you know, you know look, looking forward from the book or things that have grown are growing out of the book as well so also we have a, a a project on the socialist Anthropocene in the visual arts that we're just beginning now and uh, that also could be is related 
to the books to some of the things that we discovered in our attempts to think through the socialist side of the story of uh, art and climate change and thinking about the the anthropocene from not just in terms of a capitalist scene but that there was also socialist histories of the anthropocene and that's something that that is present kind of in the book a little bit but which we are developing uh, more and will be doing so over the next few years as well I just wanted to maybe circle back to what Dibjani also earlier said and Tatiana also hinted at is the extraordinary curation that you've done of artists in this book uh, because um, none of them irritated me. Usually artists, some of the artists irritate me, like, you know, in, in the sense of this aestheticization, including myself, artists from the book or the project from the book that I really liked was uh, the Center for uh, Living Things. Uh, of uh, Diana Lennon, which is uh, so wonderful in bringing the perceived, conceived and lived worlds together. And that's the real potential of art in a very Lefebvrean sense, that it goes, it it sort of brings these worlds together and and allows us to think of potentials and possibilities beyond. And I think in that sense, the book is very successful. So thanks a lot again for, for, for this wonderful work. Um, so would, would any, any, any of you have, uh, any last remarks? What's next? What's I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to see? So I know socialist Anthropocenes. I like the idea very much for a long time. I've been teaching this essay by Kate Brown called Gridded Lives. Why Montana and Kazakhstan look the same. And I think it's such a, textual essay I would love something like that something different to teach with but generally what's next exactly we we plan to go to Kazakhstan <laughs> for research yeah <laughs> we're like pouring over like artist books and the documentary materials about uh, Kazakh yes. art of the 30s and so on so we're, we're yes. looking into that exactly we want to also because we also are historians and for us uh, sometimes looking at the, the historical artworks is a way of thinking about the, these histories and uh, and really looking at even at socialist realism mm. Uh, and uh, art that was produced in this kind of very uh, propaganda style political art at, of the time also key holds key to understanding the the kind of environmental histories that were embedded in these projects of uh, of um, also progress and mastery of nature, but also doing it in a different way than perhaps capitalist way of uh, working for profit. And in this kind of history, so we're more thinking about how it could be done in a different way for, uh, you know, even if it's just in a, in the theory of uh, working for more uh, equal and uh, classless way of, uh, of producing and uh, creating goods. So it's kind of interesting and challenging at the same time to think about different histories and unlearning kind of unlearning this problematic histories and thinking them in a new way. That's also then if you think about unlearning, it's unlearning this kind of Cold War paradigms, which are still quite powerful in how we think about those uh, uh, socialist histories uh, uh, of the the 20th century. And it's also going again to think about these uh, histories which are not just geographically bound to to Europe and Asia, but also thinking about the socialist histories of Africa and Cuba and other uh, uh, parts where where such um, uh, engagements existed and are documented in the artworks themselves. So we'll be like working 
also from from an art historical perspective uh, the sort of historical artistic material which gives insights into those transformations of the socialist anthropocene and also at the same time working with contemporary artists over an extended period to to uh to to see how they uh research and articulate those issues through their work which will also be produced as a part of the project so it's it's uh this has both those aspects of the contemporary and also the art historical as well look forward to it oh thank you yeah, and just to say it was it's been really really marvelous to have the 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 experience and thank you uh for, for your you know really deep engagement and for the fact that you've taken the time to read our book and to uh you know to reflect on it and such generosity in your words and your reflections on on what we've done it's very encouraging and it gives us the you know the the energy to carry on with this this kind of work as well and we really admire that uh, tatiana you went for a mayor and uh, trying to change things. We want to hear. We presume it was the Green Party, but we don't know for sure. So <laughs> it's probably a different story. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot for joining everyone. Um, and thank uh, you, Nitin, of course, the yeah. all also for your for your for your for the invitation to do this and for the efforts to to make it happen. So thank you, thank you so much for your for your work and also your your kind invitation to do the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. This was an excellent discussion. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.